I remember growing up, and I went to Jean Baden Primary School, and I remember after school, back when we used to walk home from school, remember those days? Everybody walked home, we survived, we made it home, and um, I remember one of my, my best friends, he picks up a dead bird, you know, that's what you do when you're young, right? You see a dead bird, you pick it up, and he's holding this dead bird, and he goes, he, this is what he says to me, you know what we should do? We should run down this hill, and we should throw the dead bird at those girls, and I thought, wow, that's a great idea. I thought that at the time, it was a great idea. We run down this hill, he throws this dead bird at the girls, and they scream, and we duck down the alleyway, and we're laughing, and it was so funny at the time. Because now the next day begins, and I arrive early to school, because I like to arrive early so I can prepare myself for study for that day. <laughs> okay, just go there and hang out with my mates at school and, and eat someone else's lunch. Um, so, um, and so I arrive there, and there's this loud screech behind me, and it goes something like this, ants, and I turn around, and it's the biggest, it's the scariest, it's the toughest girl in our school. Remember when girls towered over the boys in primary school? Well, she (laughs) towered over everybody, and she looked at me, and her eyes raged with anger, and she says to me, you threw a dead bird into my school bag, and I'm like, It landed in your school bag? And I was like, it wasn't me. (laughs) It was Peter. I'm not going down uh, for what he did. And she said, no, it was you. She chased me and she gave me a beat down. She beat me up. Imagine David Tua with hair. This is her. And I I got ready. I, I took it like a man, like this, right? And she was throwing in those, she was throwing in some massive punches, you know. And because I was a gentleman, I did not retaliate. You know, we guys don't, don't hit other girls, right? Right? Yeah. And I took it like a man. I'm wiping my eyes afterwards. <laughs> Have you ever made a rash decision before? Have you ever made a decision that you didn't quite think it through? Like, where would this dead bird land? If I knew the consequences, I would never have ran down the road with my mate, with him carrying this dead bird. But we make rash decisions all the time. How many times do we make a rash decision when it comes to eating food? This week I'm going to eat clean. And then next year or not, you're down at Hong Kong, barbecues down the road, having a nice feed. Okay, just this one meal, but I'm eating clean for the rest of the week. Next year or not, you're at Wendy's having a Baconator or Chickenator or something like that. You, you know what? I'm going to start again Monday. Monday I'm going to start, you know. Have you ever had those kind of rash decisions? You know, here's a tip for you. Do not go shopping when you're hungry. Because yeah. you tend to buy things you don't even need. Like, oh, yeah, maybe i get some chips and some dip. And, you know, maybe get some, those, oh, I should get some ice creams and ice, chocolate-coated ice cream. Get some of that. You buy stuff you don't even need. So don't go shopping when you're hungry. Or, you know, or sometimes we, we make rash decisions when it comes to relationships. How many relationships have, have ended too quickly because you made a rash decision, right? And, and it gets so serious that you, you're, you defriend somebody on Facebook. It becomes Facebook official, right? I'm unfriending you. That's, how, that's the level of a friendship we're going. I'm going to unfriend you on Facebook. You know, I know families who won't even speak to each other because of a rash decision, Rash decisions. We make all these, these decisions, decisions, decisions. We have to make, make these decisions whether they're good or they're bad. And today I really want us to focus on a guy by the name of Jephthah. Now Jephthah lived around 1000 BC. And his story really, really is, talks about making a rash decision. 
And so um, Jephthah is found in the book of Judges, chapter 11. So before Israel had kings, they had leaders that, 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 that um, ruled over the different tribes, and they called them judges. So after Joshua had led the children of Israel into the promised land, he called them to be faithful to the covenant they made with God by obeying the commands of God's word. And if they do this, they will show all the other nations what God is like. So the book of Judges, it begins with Joshua is dead. That's how it begins. Joshua is dead, the death of Joshua. And it basically tells the story of Israel, and this is quite sad. It basically tells the story of Israel's total moral corruption and Israel's failure. The book of Judges is quite a dark book. There's, there's, if you're looking for an action book, this is an action book. There's a lot of gory things in there and a lot of, lot of um, and it's, it's really a book of, of a downward spiral of decay uh, for Israel. It's quite a sad book. And, and you would begin to see this, this cycle, and we call it, call it the cycle of sin. And you see this in the book of Judges, uh, where the children of Israel, they're, they're, they're following God, everything is good, there's peace. But then the children of Israel would sin against God by adopting the principles of the, the tribes around them, or, uh, the Canaanite tribes, like sacrificing their own children to these false gods. You know, the, you know, they, they were adopting all these things and, and, and bowing down to, these, the, to the idols made of stone and wood and things like that. And because they did these detestable things, they came out from underneath God's protection. And because they're out from under God's protection, the other Canaanite tribes began to, to rule over them and began to oppress them. They oppressed them so much so that the children of Israel cried out to God. So God, help us. They will repent, come back to God. God will hear their cry. And so God will raise up a judge, a leader, and he'll begin to liberate his people and, and bring his people back into a right relationship with God. And there's peace in the land. But unfortunately, unfortunately, it didn't last long, and eventually Israel would sin again, and the cycle would begin all over again. And it's really interesting because we see the cycle of sin even in our own lives, don't we? Where, where, where God rescues us, and we say, God, I'm going to live my life for you. And it's all good. Everything's good, going good, going good, going good. So eventually we, we start copying the behaviors of all those people around us, and we find ourselves back in trouble again. We cry out to God. God hears us. He saves us. Everything's good again. It's good again. There's peace. My life is so good. God, I'm living my life for you. And then all of a sudden, we find ourselves slipping back into what everybody else is doing. And the cycle begins again. And this message is about how do I break that cycle? Because there's so many options before us. How do I break the cycle? How do I stop making a rash decision? Decision. So the key verse in the book of Judges is found in Judges, Judges chapter 21, verse 15. And it says this, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everybody did what was right in his own eyes. This kind of sounds familiar. I mean, how many of us take God for granted? Take God for, how many of us take the word of God for granted? And it's kind of like sometimes we live our life, we love God, we're in the spirit of God, but we start to making decisions according to what we think is right in our own eyes as well. So if you can turn with me to Judges chapter 11, verse 1. And, and this is the story of, of Jephthah. So Jephthah, the, the uh, Gileadite, was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when they had grown up, they drove Jephthah away. And this is what they said to him. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family. 
They said, because you are the son of another woman. What a low blow, right? You're not, you're not part of us. You're not even part of our family. Who, who do you think you are? So, so what do we know about Jephthah? His father is, is a prominent man and a prominent family. Because you think about it, his father's name is Gilead, and they live in the town of Gilead. Right? So this is a prominent family. But according to his family, Jephthah is a mistake. He was never meant to be. He was an accident. He was an accident of their father losing control somewhere, and now we've got this mistake with us. And we don't want mistakes around here. We want to get rid of our mistakes. I don't know about you. Do you ever feel like a mistake sometimes? Do you ever feel like that people treat you like a mistake that you were never meant to be? And if you feel like that, I've got something that you need to know, that your past does not define your future. Your past does not define your future. You are created by God, and God does not make mistakes. Amen? You are not a mistake. God never created a mistake. That's not how God designed us. God has a plan and purpose for your life. And when you align your will to God's will, then you begin to step into the potential that God has for your life. When you align your will with God's will, you begin to step into God's potential for your life. Amen? Amen. So verse 3. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, which which is really interesting because Tob means good. It means good. So whenever, whenever you feel like that you're being rejected, know this, that God's plans for you are good. So Jephthah's rejected, but God sends him to a place that he calls good. Even though you're rejected, but my plans for you are good. And he goes on, and, and there a gang of scoundrels, scoundrels gathered around him and they followed him. So right at the beginning of this passage, you know, God says that Jephthah is this mighty warrior. He's gifted in warfare. In fact, he's really good at warfare. He's really gifted in this whole area. And so he begins to attract people of, with similar kind of giftings. They're attracted to him. And on these people, the similar kind of, of giftings, and the Bible tells us they're kind of scoundrels. But Jephthah is really good, and he attracts them. And, and, and all of a sudden, he's got, this, he's got this army of men. It's kind of like Robin Hood and his merry men, right? The men in tights. Okay, I don't know if Jephthah had his men were in tights. I, I seriously doubt it. But he's, he's, he's Jephthah and his merry men, and, and, you know, and, they're, and they're gifted in the art of warfare. In fact, they become mercenaries, and they begin to sell their, their giftings to the highest bidder. That's what they do. That's what they do. In fact, last week I talked about, the, about giftings and calling and that these are different. And it's, it's good to honor, your, it's good to honor your, your gifts, but you better know what your calling is because gifting is cultivated in practice, right? You, you're gifted at something like I'm not gifted at singing, no matter how much times I practice. But you're gifting whatever it is. It's cultivated in practice. But your calling, your calling is cultivated in prayer and total trust in God. Total trust in God. Because your calling begins as a burden that God begins to stir inside your heart. Your calling always, always involves helping people. And it's not about helping your own self because of gifting, right? Gifting attracts people. And people get behind you. Wow, what a gift. What a gift. And the problem with, if you, you've got to be careful with your gifting because when everybody starts coming around, you say, wow, and start patting you on your back and start honoring you, you can get to a point where you don't need anybody else. I can do this on my own. I'm really good at that. And you begin to take your gift in a total direction from the calling that God has on your life, right? So if you don't know the difference between calling and gifting, then you'll go to the highest bidder for your gift and begin to prostitute your calling because somebody honored your gift. Verse 4, 
Sometime later, when the Ammonites were fighting against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. So, so Jephthah, he's got a reputation now. They've heard about this mighty warrior. Go, Whoa, Jephthah. Wow, he's got, he's, got this, he's, got, he's got this crew, and they're pretty much, they can take on anybody. And, and they find themselves in trouble. You know what? We need Jephthah fighting for us. We need him. He's our own people. Surely he will come to us. So they go to him and say, hey, come, come, fight for us. Be our commander. So Jephthah says to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? So why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? This is a good question that Jephthah Ask them because now we see there wasn't just Jephthah's family that drove him away, but it was the city leaders that drove him away also until they needed him, until they needed him, right? So you gotta, you, you got to know this. You need to listen to this because you don't have to be appointed by man if you're called by God. You don't have to be chosen by people if God prompts your heart, stirs your spirit, and gives you a burden, You've got to step into it. You've got to trust him and just watch him act in your life. Because Jephthah was gifted in warfare, but his calling was to lead a nation in war during the time of war. So here we go, down to verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. Isn't that so good to have the Spirit of the Lord to come upon you? Right? And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. Okay. He made this vow. If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of my door of my house to meet me when I return and triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. And if you're like me, you're like, what, what, wait, what? what, what wait, hang on, wait, Jephthah, you're filled with the Spirit of God. You're stepping into your calling, but you're treating God like how the Canaanites treat their gods, by sacrificing your children to their gods. You're treating God like how the Canaanites are treating their gods. God's not like that. And it's a very sad point in Israel's history because Israel no longer knows the character of their God. Do you know the character of your God? Do you know his character? I wonder how many people... Give God an ultimatum. I don't know if you've ever, ever given God an ultimatum. God, if you do this for me, I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life. But only if you do this for me. God, I deserve this. God, if I do this for you, you've got to do this for me. How many of you in this room know that God doesn't need a shoulder rub? God isn't looking for people who want to make ultimatums with him. He's looking for people who's willing to serve, who's willing to be a blessing, who's willing to give of themselves. Even when hell breaks out all around them, they'll continue to stand. They'll continue to serve because it's not about them. It's about the call of God on their life. And it's not about my gifting. My gifting pushes me towards my calling. But my gifting can also push me away from my calling. Verse 32. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites. The Lord gave them into his hands, and he devastated 20 towns. He was very good at his warfare. He was very good. He devastated 20 towns from Aurora to the vicinity of Minnith, as far as Abel, Kiramim. Thus Israel subdued Ammon. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, 
dancing to the sounds of timbrels. She was his only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. Now, now, now listen to the anguish in his voice. Verse 35. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and he cried, Oh no, I've made a rash decision. I didn't quite think this through. I've made a rash decision. Oh no, my daughter, you have brought me down and I am devastated. I've made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. I don't know, maybe Jephthah was expecting his mother-in-law to walk out. I, I don't know. I don't know at all. But this I do know. The point is this. Jephthah made a rash decision because he did not know the character of his God. Did God approve of his decision? Absolutely not. I mean, from this point on, God is silent because God had already spoken. He already laid down in the law of Moses when he said that that human sacrifice is detestable to to him and he vowed the children of Israel not to do it, to not to partake in what the Canaanites were doing, that it is detestable to his sight. God had already spoken. He already said this. He already laid it down in his word. Yet Jephthah, full of the Spirit of God, still made the wrong decision. See, you can be filled by the Spirit of God and still be influenced by society around us. How many of us take God's Word for granted? How many of us live according to what we think is right in our own eyes? I mean, could Jephthah have changed his mind? Could he have changed his mind? Absolutely. Because God's word freed him from his rash decision. The problem we have here is that he didn't know God's word. He knew of God. He was filled with his spirit. But he wasn't filled of his word. Because the word of God, it protects and strengthens me. The word of God protects and strengthens me. See, knowing who you are and what you stand for will make a world of difference with each choice you make. See, do you have a clear idea where you absolutely will not compromise on? Do you have have a strong idea what you won't compromise compromise with? Do you know for sure? Because spending time in God's Word affirms His values and His His ethics in our lives. In fact, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 says this, All Scripture is inspired by God and it is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. See, the Word of God, it protects and it strengthens me. See, my Bible tells me that sex is good. In fact, the Bible tells me that, uh, that God said to Noah, go and multiply, have as much sex as you can within the protection of marriage. See, so when I understand that sex is good within the protection of marriage, then I'm not going to compromise my standards by having, by having sex and following what everyone else is doing. Because the Word of God protects and it strengthens me. So you can be filled by the Spirit of God, but still have an attitude that I don't need church. Because it's all about a relationship with God. I don't need to go to church. But my Bible tells me in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, let us not give up the habit of meeting together as some are doing. Instead, let us encourage one another all the time. Come on, the Word of God, it protects and it strengthens me. Can you imagine if, if Jephthah lived by the, by the Word of God? You know, he wouldn't have thought twice about sacrificing his daughter. I wonder, I wonder how many of our greatest regrets could have been avoided 
if we applied God's word into our life. I wonder how many of our greatest regrets could have been avoided. See, in order to live by the word of God, we've got to read it, right? I don't know, I don't know if, you, if you know this about the word of God. Did you know the word of God, the Bible, is the most read book in the world? It is the most read book in the world. It is the most sold book in the world. And it's also the most stolen book in the world. In fact, Gideon, who supplies Bibles to hotels, proudly declared that their Bible is the most stolen book in the world. But I don't know if you know that the Bible is also the most illegal book in the world. That in some countries, having a Bible on your persons could result um, of you being in jail. In fact, it could result of you disappearing and nobody knowing where you are. The Word of God is powerful. It changes nations. It transforms nations. If it can transform me, it can transform anybody. If you take hold of the Word of God and you begin to open it and you begin to apply the Word of God upon your life, you will change. Your mind will change because the Word of God is living. It transforms us. It changes us. It, it, it brings us into his, his, the image of God. You, do you know Him? Do you know His Word? You know, for many of us, we can quote... We can quote um, songs and lyrics from all these songs out there, but we can't quote the Word of God. We can quote movies and things like that, but we can't quote the Word of God. You know, do we realize what we have in our hands? And it's really easy for me to say because uh, uh, every Christian wants to read the Bible more. And every Christian has, a lot of, have the, has the same issues. We, we just don't have the right habits to do it. We all want to read the Bible more, but I just don't have enough time. Right? And the thing is, you'll never have enough time because you can't find time. You've got to make time. And the best way to create a habit, if you want to create a habit of reading your Bible, this is what you've got to do. You've got to attach a habit you want to create to, to an already existing habit. Now, that will help you form a habit. Okay? Like, for instance, um, for example, I'm going to use a, a millennial for the millennials out there. I'm using an example for millennials that, you, that will understand. Not just millennials, pretty much everybody here. I just like making fun of millennials. Because every generation likes making fun of the generations before them, you know. So that's good. Don't worry. One day you'll make fun of the next generation. <laughs> so you'll get your turn. So, for, like, for instance, like for, here's an example. Like, if you have a habit, like, for instance, the first thing you do in the morning when you wake up, the first thing you do is you grab your phone, right? If that's a habit, that's good. We can work with it. We can work with that. We can create um, a godly habit with that worldly habit, <laughs> okay? So, so this is what you do. Get your phone. Download the Bible app onto your phone. I, I, I recommend the U version app. It's a great version. You can have Bible studies on there, all sorts of things. So now you have a habit. You wake up in the morning, grab your phone. Now let's develop a habit. Let's join one to that habit. First thing I'm going to do before I check my notifications, check how many likes I got for the puppy that I put up on Facebook or anything else like that. Or um, checking out the rugby results or anything like that. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to open my Bible app and I'm going to read one chapter from the Bible or one verse. It doesn't matter. You don't need to read. It's not about the quantity. It's about consistency, being, being consistent with the Word of God and, and allowing the Word of God to transform you and to change you. So begin to do that. You, you attach that. You begin to do that every day, every day, every day. And you watch the Word of God change your life. And you can do that with any kind of habit you have. So if you have a habit of getting up in the morning, having coffee, looking out the window, whatever it is, then attach putting a Bible there and reading a chapter or a verse from your Bible, whatever it is. Attach a habit to an already existing habit that you have. And that's how you form some godly habits in your life. Amen? Well, I want to share with you a, um, a quick video about a man who...
about a man whose name is Dave. Now, Dave struggled with a whole bunch of issues. He had heaps of issues. Okay. But when he discovered the Word of God, the Word of God freed him from these issues that he had. These issues. Because the Word of God, it protects and it strengthens me. So here is the story of Dave. Growing up, we, um, we didn't have much. And for our lunches as well, we would only get sandwiches, so I became really good at um, stealing. My f- uncle and his family had moved into a house, and for some reason, um, he would bully me and my brother and beat us with his fist, uh, closed fist. He would punch us in the face, and I would get uh, blood nose, um, I would get knocked out, and as a result of that, I, my schooling went down, I had to go to school, um, and my parents were never around when uh, the beatings would occur to me and my brother. As a way to show, show the rest of the world, I used to bully, bully other people. My mother had to work three jobs, um, you know, just to get food and pay for the rent. My father worked long hours during the day and he would go to night school uh, because they all moved over from the Cook Islands, um, coming here with nothing. My dad finished uh, work early one day and when he walked through the front door to come home, uh, he saw me getting thrown across the room and smacking my head into the wall. And then from that point on, my father said to my mum, this has got to stop, and uh, kicked uh, my uncle and his family out. But the damage had already occurred for me. Um, I, was, I was already on the bandwagon, um, hating school, and everything has been downhill for me. brother got caught up with a youth group. So I used to look after my brother. My brother became a Christian. And then I sort of followed in his footsteps because uh, I wanted to be like my brother. Um, so I sort of followed the, the, the God route that he took. Always having that in the back of my head that when I get older, I'm going to get my uncle. That I'm, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get him. And then when I, was, when I started reading the Lord's Prayer, then after the Lord's Prayer, um, Jesus continues to say, you know, you to forgive people. Because if you don't forgive people, I won't forgive you. And I know that in my past, my past is a real bad past. And I was like, if, if I can't forgive my uncle, you know, Jesus, God ain't gonna forgive me. So we actually made peace with my uncle. I went, I went from, I went from not having no education, leaving school, and not knowing how to speak, not knowing how to read or write, to then later on reading God's word. Um, it also, for some, I don't know what happened. Um, I was able to read and I was able to speak. Um, so I went from not being able to speak at all and just stuttering to being able to hold a conversation and start to talk. What, what I do now is that I actually work with youth that offend and try and have their lives have a better outcome in their lives. And when I tell them my story, uh, often, often encourages them and gives them hope because what, what we do now will affect up to five generations from us. And that, that's one thing that I know and that's one thing that I've uh, always uh, taught and spoken to with uh, the families that I deal with. I'm now in the police. My sister is now a detective in the police and my brother is a senior pastor. And you know, how, how can that happen in the environment that we grew up in? You know, and what I, what I actually link it back to is actually my grandma continue praying and looking at where we all are now, it's like, yep, 
that was not not by not by us what we've done. It's about what she had done. How I pray for that covering upon us and for the generations to come. For me, that's what I, I believe living large is by thinking about the generations to come um, and leaving your legacy. Um, not only for you, but for five, five or so generations, just to have that covering upon them. And, and that's living large. That's, that's living to the potential of where God wants you to be. Not from, because I've, I've only got a small view, <laughs> but God's got a bigger picture for me. I don't really know who that guy Dave is, but his brother's really good looking. He's really good looking. Um, okay, for those that didn't know, um, Dave is actually my brother. That was me in the hat of the skies when I was wearing a hat. Um, and I, and uh, but I'll tell you what, uh, he's my younger brother, but he used to get into a lot of trouble, and I spent a long time trying to rescue him uh, from all the issues that he caused and, and trouble. But this story is really interesting. I love the story of Dave. Because it's so, it's so easy for us to carry anger and hate in our life because of past hurts, right? But it's the Word of God that sets us free. Amen. So it's the Word of God that transforms us. And for too many of us, we're led by anger. And when we're led by anger, it causes us to make decisions that we regret. Because anger says, you owe me. And because you hurt me, you took something from me. You either pay me back or I'll pay you back. And it leaks into all our other relationships. I mean, because you're either hurt as a kid, or maybe you were hurt in your last job, maybe you are hurt in your last church. But if you're still carrying this anger, and if you keep this bottle up on the inside, it will eat you up. Because anger says this, you owe me until you pay me back. And I'm gonna hold this over you and hold this over anybody else who, who reminds me of you. That's why, God, uh, why David discovered the Word of God. Because the Word of God, it strengthens and it protects me. It protects and it strengthens me. And he read the words of Jesus. When Jesus said to forgive. See, forgiveness is identifying specifically what was taken from me. What has offended me. And deciding that you don't owe me anymore. That's what forgiveness is. You know, you've hurt me. You've either hurt me physically or you've hurt me emotionally. But I'm making a decision. I'm deciding to set you free. You don't owe me anymore. I'm cancelling the debt. I'm freeing you. And who you're really freeing is yourself. See, I will not be ruled by anger anymore. I will not be ruled by unforgiveness anymore. It's not going to follow me into my next relationship. It's not going to impact the way I discipline my kids. You don't owe me anymore. You are forgiven. I'm canceling the debt. So when you allow the Word of God inside here, you watch the Word of God transform you. The Word of God protects and it strengthens me. So you cannot change your past, but you have the power to choose the very best for your future. 
You have the power to change a decision that you know is wrong. The Word of God protects and it strengthens me.